Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. A synopsis is a fancy word for a brief summary of a subject or a body of material. In this ninth study in the book of Hosea, we find a synopsis of this fascinating portion of Old Testament prophetic literature. We also consider the very heart of Hosea's message to his people and how similar that message would be if he were walking the streets of a U.S. city and addressing the American people today. Join us as we view Hosea chapter 8 in this series entitled, I Love You Truly, Part 2, Studies in the Book of Hosea. As we begin, there are two scenarios that I would like to have you consider. Here's the first scenario. A friend of yours who doesn't know very much about the Bible. Do you have any friends like that? A friend of yours who doesn't know very much about the Bible has heard that you come out every couple of weeks to a meeting in this place, and uh, perhaps that friend is curious. Well, what do you do there? And of course, when they ask, you say, well, we have some of the finest baked goods this side of Tel Aviv. <laughs> and then you say, and we have a Bible study. And your friend, who doesn't know very much about the Bible, asks you, oh, really? Well, what are you studying? And your answer is, well, we're studying the book of Hosea, or Hosea. We're studying the book of Hosea. And of course, a natural question would be, your friend would ask, oh, really? What's that all about? How would you answer that question? What is the book of Hosea? all about. Now, I know you could all come up with a, a great answer, but to help you a little bit, on your page of notes, there's a synopsis, which is a fancy word for a short summary of what the book of Hosea is about. And, and so, just in case a friend of yours who doesn't know very much about the Bible asks you, you have this. And, and you can, of course, yours might be better. That's okay. But, but here is a suggestion, at least, of a synopsis. And it goes like this. The book of Hosea is a record of the ministry of an Old Testament prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel from approximately 760 to 715 B.C. He, that is, that Old Testament prophet, he proclaimed messages of Israel's future, that is, foretelling, and he addressed contemporary issues, that is, forthtelling, with his domestic life, that is, his wife and his children, serving as vivid examples of God's relationship with the Jewish people. How's that? Uh, that, that gives you a sense of what it is that we've been doing here, and there's much more that could be said, but I have a feeling that if you give that much to your friend, he or she might start dozing off anyway, but this might serve the purpose. Okay, here's the other scenario I would have you consider. If somehow or another, 
The prophet Hosea, based on what we've learned thus far from the book, if somehow or another the prophet Hosea would be walking the streets of a city in America today, what would he say? What would his message be? Now, I don't have a synopsis for that because I think it's interesting to think about that. What would Hosea, based on what we know from our study of the book, what would Hosea say to American people today in 2022? I will suggest to you that I have a feeling that his message today would be an awful lot like his message of, shall we say, 2,700 years ago. Well, once again, in the chapter that we're considering today, and that is Hosea chapter 8, Hosea chapter 8, uh, we find this Old Testament prophet, Hosea, doing what it is that the Old Testament prophets were called to do. What was it that the Old Testament prophets were called to do? Well, they were called to decry or to speak out against the disobedience, the rebellion, the spiritual infidelity of the Jewish people. And it was their task to, after calling out their fellow Jews for their disobedience and rebellion and spiritual infidelity, it was then their task to declare the certainty of divine judgment, which is to say, judgment is coming if you don't listen, if you don't change, if you don't repent. Judgment is coming. And that judgment will, by God, at the hands of God, will lead to domestic disaster, meaning that all kinds of problems will happen to you as a people in your land. But also, you will experience defeat at the hands of your enemies, and you will, in fact, experience displacement from your land or dispersion from your land. And in chapter 8, that's once again what we find the prophet Hosea doing, what we find him speaking. So if you would please take your text, and I'm going to begin by reading, it's 14 verses, Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. It begins this way. Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord. Because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, my God, we, Israel, know you. Israel has spurned the good. The enemy shall pursue him. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel. A craftsman made it. It is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. For they sow the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. If it were to yield, strangers would devour it. Israel was swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. 
For they have gone up to Assyria, a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has hired lovers. Though they hire allies among the nations, I will soon gather them up. And the king and princes shall soon writhe because of the tribute. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. They have become to him altars for sinning. Were I to write for him my laws by the ten thousands, they would be regarded as a strange thing. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces, and Judah has multiplied fortified cities. So I will send fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. I would call your attention particularly to verse 4 of Hosea chapter 8. Because I really think that Hosea 8.4 is really a capsule, a capsulized version of what the whole chapter is about. And for that matter, what the whole prophetic ministry of Hosea is all about. Hosea chapter 8, verse 4. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. If you notice the, the development of Hosea's message, and, and really the formulation of that message, it goes something like this. I think that Hosea would say, and I really think it's absolutely true, that all problems that a people have, that a nation has, for that matter, that an individual has. All problems that anyone has are at their root spiritual problems. Now, I know that that's, that's, that's a pretty uh, sober statement, that all problems have at their root spiritual problems. But I think we can see that in Hosea's message. And, of course, spiritual problems are the result of alienation from God. Alienation from God. That is to say, people having no relationship with God. And that really is the basis of spiritual problems, being alienated from God. As I said, I think verse 4 kind of summarizes these principles. And so if you look at verse 4, it says, they made kings but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. Now, this is Hosea, the prophet, speaking to the chosen people, Jews. And, and he says of them, he uses these words, you did something, but you did not do it through me. You did something, but I didn't know it. Now, you know as well as I do that that doesn't mean that God was taken by surprise. When he says, I knew it not. What it means is that these decisions that were being made by the northern kingdom of Israel had no connection with their relationship with God. They were alienated from God. Why in the world would they 
make the decisions they made if they had a relationship with God. And yet, verse 2 suggests that they would have said they had a relationship with God. You see that in verse 2? To me, God says through the prophet, to me they cry. So when they, when they have some problems, they say, Oh God, we Israel, we know you. God, where are you? Well, the problem is that they were far from God. They were alienated from God. And then we follow that line of thinking a little bit further, and you see this, that the evidence of spiritual problems, the indication that there are spiritual problems, is there are two things on your notes there. First of all, errant religious conduct. That is to say, religious behavior, religious practice, that is wrong, that is erroneous, and abhorrent behavior, meaning just bad conduct and behavior in general. And if you would look at the chapter we just read, and let me call your attention to a couple of places where that's the point that Hosea is making that the evidence of the spiritual problems of the Jews of the northern kingdom who were alienated from God is their false religious practice and, frankly, their bad behavior. Notice verse 1. It says at the end of that verse, because they have transgressed my covenant and they have rebelled against my law. They have transgressed my covenant and they have rebelled against my law. But verse 4, this verse that capsulizes, I think, encapsulates um, this message, you have this statement at the end of verse 4, with their silver and gold, they made idols. With their silver and gold, they made idols. And then we have this in verse 5, I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. And verse 6 picks up that subject of the calf that you have in verse 5. And God through Hosea says this, for it is from Israel. That is to say, your calf, your, your idol of gold, your calf is from Israel. A craftsman made it. Somebody made it out of gold or silver, and it is not God. The calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. And then skip down to verse 13. Excuse me, verse 11. Let's pick up there first of all. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning. They have become to him altars for sinning. And then verse 13. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. You see, there are those people who say, I'm not alienated from God. I, I go to church. Um, I pray every once in a while. Um, I give money to my church. I'm not alienated from God. I, I do a lot of different religious things. And yet, the fact of the matter is that they are alienated from God, and their religious activity is displeasing to God. It is not pleasing to God. And certainly that is evident here. Now, there's reference here to this calf and the multiple altars. 
And and as you look at that, and you have it, of course, um, first of all, verse four refers to it with their silver and gold, they made idols. So that is kind of a an oblique reference. But specifically, we have verse five. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom of Israel. So he's actually addressing the northern kingdom of Israel. And he says, I've spurned your calf. And then verse six of that calf, um, the calf of Samaria, the calf that is the golden calf that is worshipped by the Jews of the northern kingdom will be broken to pieces. And then verse 11, uh, multiple altars. What's that all about? Well, I would remind you of some history from the northern kingdom of the Jewish people. And you have some of the specifics there on your page of notes. You will remember that around 931 BC, when the son of King Solomon, whose name was Rehoboam, uh, took the throne of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, because of some ill-advised policies of his government, there was a rebellion that was led by a man named Jeroboam. And he is identified, because there was more than one Jeroboam, as Jeroboam I. And in 931 BC, Jeroboam uh, led a rebellion, as it turned out, of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. And that was the beginning of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And we read in, in 1 Kings chapter 12, and I'm going to read that for you just now. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 12, that one of the first things that um, Jeroboam did was he established his own religious practice. Now, up to that point, remember, the Jewish people were required to go to the city of Jerusalem, where the temple was, and they were to offer sacrifices on the altar of sacrifice in Jerusalem. And the only altar where sacrifices could be made was that one altar, the altar in Jerusalem. And all of the Jews, no matter where they lived in Israel, when they wanted to worship God specifically with the sacrificial system, they had to go to Jerusalem. And the priests would serve them in actually offering sacrifices. Jeroboam was a wise politician. And he realized that as he's trying to keep the ten tribes of the northern kingdom separate from their brothers, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, of the southern kingdom, he decides that one of the ways to do that is to keep the Jews of the northern kingdom away from Jerusalem and away from the temple. So I'll read 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt there, and went out from there, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He doesn't want that. Remember, Rehoboam is the grandson of King David. If this people, that is his people, the Jews of the northern kingdom, if this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord 
even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king, Jeroboam, took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, to his people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, referring to the two golden calves, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You talk about insulting God. These gold calves represent the God who brought you up out of Egypt. And he set the one, the one golden calf, in Bethel, Bethel, that's in the center part of the country, not too far from Jerusalem, by the way. And the other he set up in Dan, all the way in the far northern part of Israel. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan. Now, with that background, you can see why Hosea refers to the calf or the calves of Samaria. He also refers to their sacrifices that were offered on multiple altars. You see, God said there's only one altar in Jerusalem. And Jeroboam said, no, no, no. You can offer sacrifices in Bethel. You can offer sacrifices in Dan. We also know that there were other places where the Jews of the Northern Kingdom gathered for some kind of religious activity, and they offered sacrifices in those other places, multiple altars. And so that's why we have verse 11. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. And verse 13, as for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. And that's because it was false religious worship. Well, so clearly that was a major part of uh, Hosea's message. Now, the next point that we see is this, that um, Israel's alienation from God, back to your page of notes, Israel's alienation from God led to a formation, that is the northern kingdom's formation, of toxic relationships with surrounding nations. And that's another part of this, and that is you have the northern kingdom uh, basically uh, forming relationships with other nations, pagan people group, in hopes that they would be able to protect themselves. And you have that in verse 4. They made kings, they set up princes. That refers to the various political leaders of the northern kingdom of Israel whose main job was to negotiate treaties with the other nations all around them. And then verses 8 uh, through 10. Israel is swallowed up. That's verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Remember, folks, that God's purpose for the Jewish people necessitated them being a distinct people, a separate people, if you will, a holy people. And the problem was that the Jewish people, time and time again, kind of melted into the nations around them, and they lost their distinctiveness, they lost their holiness. And so here's the point here, and it is that uh, they have been swallowed up. Verse 8, Israel was swallowed up. They've just become part of the geopolitical 
um, fabric of that part of the world at that period of time. And as a result, Hosea says in verse 8, already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. God says of Israel, even though these are my chosen people, even though I love them, because they've lost their distinctiveness, they're useless to me. They are like a useless vessel. And then read on, and it's pretty interesting, verse 9. For they have gone up to Assyria, that's the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, Assyria was the rising power at this period of time. Not Babylon anymore. Now it is Assyria. And they have gone up to Assyria, and Hosea uses the image, they're like a wild donkey wandering alone. Do you get that mental picture? You got this, this wild donkey who's just sort of, you know, wandering around, and he shows up in Assyria. And it's kind of like, ba-doop, 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 you know. He's this wild donkey wandering alone, and he's basically saying, excuse me, can somebody help me? Can somebody help me? And that's the picture here. They're like a donkey wandering alone. And then, to make it even more dramatic, Ephraim, that's one of the tribes of the northern kingdom, the largest tribe, Ephraim has hired lovers. In other words, has hired prostitutes paying money because you see as you read on verse 10 though they hire allies among the nations hire them pay for them i will soon gather there gather them up the king and princes of the northern kingdom shall soon writhe because of the tribute they had to keep paying money paying money and what happened well that leads us to our final point here and that is that uh, because of this development, their alienation from God, and the result of that being their, their false religious conduct and their abhorrent behavior, because of forming these toxic relationships with other people around them, that ultimately they would be facing disaster. And that's what you have emphasized as part of the prophet's message here Verse 1 begins this way, set the trumpet to your lips. In other words, blow the shofar and let the Jews of the northern kingdom know they are in big trouble. The enemy is coming. Now you'll notice the dates of Hosea's ministry, 760 to 715. When he began his ministry, the northern kingdom of Israel was doing quite well. But as time went on and they formed these relationships with Assyria and even some other nations like Egypt and other nations, things began to fall apart. So much so that in 722 BC, the Assyrians swept down on the northern kingdom of Israel, defeated the capital city of Samaria, and basically destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. That is what Hosea is foretelling. When he says, set the trumpet to your lips. And then he says, one like a vulture is over the house of the Lord. Now, when you first read that, you think the house of the Lord is at the temple in Jerusalem. Usually it is, but here it is not. Here, the house of the Lord actually refers to the Jewish people. They are the household of the Lord, the house of the Lord. Now, that may seem a little strange to you, except when you think of this. When you and I gather on a Sunday morning in a building and we gather for worship, 
what is the church? Is the church the building? No, the church is the people. And in fact, Ephesians chapter 2 refers to those who know the Lord as the household of God. And so the Jewish people are supposed to be the household of God, but because of the rebellion of the northern kingdom, there was going to be one who would swoop down like a vulture on the house of the Lord, and that, of course, was the Assyrians. And you read on, and of course you read in verse 4, their silver and gold they made idle for, the, for their own destruction. Verse 5, my anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of innocence? Verse 7 puts it this way. They sow the wind and they shall reap the whirlwind. Again, that's quite picturesque because the prophet is saying here, the seed that they've sown is a slight wind. In other words, they're doing things that are kind of risky, but they're not too risky. They're just risky. So they're sowing the wind, but what they're going to reap is the whirlwind that sweeps down on them in response. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And then the standing grain has no heads. It shall yield no flower. We said that the consequences of God's judgment would be disaster, among other things, domestically. And so God even says here that your crops will not do what they're supposed to do. In other words, you have wheat that grows up and it's on the stalk, but it doesn't have a head. Now, I don't know much about wheat farming, but I think this is true. If you have a stalk of wheat that doesn't have a head, it's not worth anything. And so that's what the wheat harvest is going to be like. And um, it, it will yield no flower. If it were to yield, if somehow or another it would have a head, strangers would come along and devour it. And of course, the message that we have over and over again here is God's judgment. Verse 13 kind of wraps it up in this way. Second part of the verse. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. Now, the Jews hadn't been slaves in Egypt for 700 years at the time when Hosea spoke. But always, Jews going back to Egypt is a picture of Jews being defeated and conquered and enslaved by their enemies. And that's the picture here. They shall return to Egypt. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff. And you say, well, that's that's really, you know, that's, boy, that's really calling the Jews of the northern kingdom down. But remember, they had been warned. In fact, not only the prophet, but 700 years before, right after they left Egypt, around 1400 B.C., the book of Deuteronomy tells us this, that Jews were gathered by Moses at the end of Moses' life, Moses is about to die. And he's handing over the mantle of leadership to Joshua. There, Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land, but Joshua will lead the Jews into the promised land. And Moses gathers the nation of Israel. And he tells them those things that will bring blessing to them and those things that will bring cursing to them. 
when they get in their land. And Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15, you have the text there on your page of notes. This is what God says to Israel through, through Moses. 700 years before Hosea's day, it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And the rest of the chapter is a list of curses, bad things that will happen to the Jews if they are alienated from God, if they disobey God, and they do not heed his warnings. Sadly, we have to say, according to verse 12, it would seem as if the northern kingdom of Israel had reached the point of no return. That, my friends, is sad. Even with a prophet of God in their midst, they had reached the point of no return. How do we know that? Look at verse 12. God through Hosea says this, were I to write him for him my laws by the 10,000s, they would be regarded as a strange thing. You're not going to listen no matter what I say to you. In other words, they had reached the point of no return. And finally, verse 14, I think summarizes very well that the real problem and the certain consequences are as follows. The real problem and the certain consequences. Verse 14, Israel has forgotten his maker. That's the real problem. They forgot the God of the universe who created everything, including them, and chose them to be his chosen people. They have forgotten their maker, and instead they have poured their effort and their energy into building palaces. Remember that when Hosea began his prophetic ministry, the northern kingdom of Israel under Jeroboam II this time was prosperous. And they had poured all of their energy not into their relationship with the Lord, but rather into building palaces. And then he turns even to the southern kingdom, Judah. And he says, Judah has done the same thing. They've multiplied fortified cities. But the consequences? So I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour her strongholds. And both in Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, 722 B.C., and Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Israel, 586 B.C., that happened. Those cities had been destroyed. I'm reminded, and I know that you are very familiar with this, a parable that Jesus told. It's recorded in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. I suspect you'll remember it. Luke 12, 16, he spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he, that rich man, thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no place to bestow all of my crops. And he said, the rich man, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, bigger. There will I bestow all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, 
drink and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? The point of that, I believe, is this. We don't know from one day to the next. And we, Phyllis and I, have been reminded of that once again. We don't know from one day to the next what lies before us. And it is only the fool who puts off his relationship with God. I close with this, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you. Paul says, We beg you, Corinthians, that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Don't throw away the grace that God would want to show you in his plan of salvation. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The sad thing is that the Jews of the northern kingdom of Israel, at least as a nation, did not heed that warning. And the consequences were horrible. It's a reminder to all of us. Don't put off until tomorrow the relationship that God wants to have with you and with me today. Today is the day of salvation. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.